0: Me. I'm Michael Leek. I'm the band leader and uh, bassist for Snarky Puppy. So where were you when you found out that Snarky Puppy was nominated for a Grammy? I was in uh, the house of our director of photography, Andy LaViolette in Denton, Texas. And actually, Layla texted me first, and I didn't. She said we did it and I said yeah I know the, the record came out a couple months ago what's the <laughs> what do you mean and she said no 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 she's like Have you? are you not watching what's going on online and I was like no I'm editing I was editing the video for We Like It Here the next record that we make uh, and then she sent me a screenshot and I thought it was a practical joke and then my phone started exploding from friends and yeah it was cool I mean I guess it's appropriate that I was working on the next project when we found out but yeah yeah, we, we, we won the Grammy for that uh, for Best R&B Performance in, is that 2000, is it 15 now? Yeah. yeah. So two, 2014. How was that experience when you won? Uh, I mean, really surreal. You know, because we're just like a, a garage band, really. You know, and, and we were independent. Uh, we still are independent. I mean, our, our, our most recent record is being licensed by a major label, but that's the first one ever in it's still our record, you know, so we've, we've been an indie band from the beginning and I think you don't really see very many of those at the Grammys. I mean, that year I think Macklemore and us were the only ones that we even nominated, I think, as independent artists, so... But definitely that one, so yeah, it was... It was amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, I try not to put stock in awards, like, for charts or whatever. It's cool to see a record of yours go to number one on a chart, but that's not why you make records, you know, and... Some of the greatest records of all time never won Grammys and so it's important but I think not attach yourself to that stuff too much but it's nice to receive a token of appreciation really just for the band, you know, I feel like we did something that's recognized which is important I think. Well we made three studio records not live and um, we were doing a lot of touring then and a, a lot of people who had our records told us that they didn't think that the albums were representative of what the band sounded like live, that they enjoyed the live shows more Um, And so I was standing with Splatt, our drummer, when somebody mentioned it to us and and I made a joke that, uh, that, you know, I basically said that I don't like how live records sound, you know? Uh, And so I said, I I just kind of made a joke that the only way I'd make a live record is if it was in a recording studio. And then Splatt and I kind of like thought about it and we were like, actually, maybe that'll work, you know? So then you, you get the sound quality of a studio album but then you have live human beings in front of you which kind of puts the emphasis more on reaching people and making music rather than like being in your own head about am I playing this perfectly that we can, you know, that kind of perfectionist attitude that you can get into in a recording studio so it's good, it's kind of like the best of both worlds to me you know, we have a policy at the label that we, we don't listen to anything and don't sign anyone until the record's completely done Just so that the label doesn't have any influence on the creative process Because I think that's really important Because, you know, if you, like, that's signed cool to a label coffee. And then the artist submits it And the label's like, oh, this is a nah, like We yeah. don't like it yeah. Then, like, the artist might that change <laughs> the record for the label And that's yeah. bullshit to mm-hmm. me You know what I mean? Like, the artist yeah. is the artist and the industry is the industry And, like, and I don't think that a label should sign a record because they're in a contract with someone, they should sign it because they believe in it, you know. So, you always known you wanted to do music? No, no. When I was eighteen, I was deciding between music, theater, and going to the seminary to become a Catholic priest. Wow, <laughs> I can imagine those days are long gone, <laughs> but uh, and everything that comes along with it. But, but yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, no, I didn't know. I mean, at this point now, I don't think I could do anything else. I think I suck at everything else, so that's my only option. Yeah, I mean, visual media is, the you know, if you have to isolate one factor of why our band has achieved any element of success or notoriety or anything, it's because of visual media for sure. You know, I mean, we made those three studio albums, they didn't do anything, we made one live in-studio DVD, put it on YouTube, and then all of a sudden you're getting emails from Singapore and Japan and Kenya, and you know, like, because until then the only way you had ever heard of Snarky Puppy is... By being a victim at one of our shows, or like, you know, I mean, something that like you would have had to experience us in the flesh, and that limits your audience. You know, we're touring in the southeastern U.S. or something. Mm-hmm. So, so the the visual media thing opened up the band to the whole world. Anyone with an internet connection, you know, and each record we've tried to like really progress in every element of the of the album making process so more cameras better lenses better cameras higher audio quality you know so that each record we're kind of stepping things up and I've noticed you know I when we did that I had never seen a band do that before but now you see it everywhere you know what I mean and and I I, I agree with you that I think maybe that is kind of the next uh, I mean I don't want to say it's the future of the music industry but I think that visual media is more important now in the music business than it ever has been before and for me I was having a conversation in the car rental place with our tour manager about it today about how like I feel that now I don't want to do that anymore almost you know what I mean like I don't want to just be like oh this is comfortable and it works and so we're just going to do it I want to kind of like I'm trying to think of something that's logical and makes sense and isn't different to be different but that can change directions <laughs> Like a favorite um, area of the world, or anywhere that you like to perform, or a digital, a Do you have any favorites? Yeah, of course, like, sure. I mean, I think we, everything has its own. <laughs> Every place offers something unique, and there's certain places that the band really love that are very different from each other. Right. You know, we love playing in Japan they really understand they love. The yeah. Japan awesome. You show up yeah. and they treat you with like extreme dignity. They roll out their carpet, and, yeah. and, and as a consequence, you treat them with more respect. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, the audiences are extremely educated and attentive. They know what's up. Yeah. You know what I mean? But they're very docile. And then you go to, you know, we'll play in Ireland, and it's like, it's like, Route, dangerously rowdy. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. On sure, sure. Crowd surfing. Really. Sure, sure. Yeah, there's some great photographs of our last gig. <laughs> guys, crowd surfing. Dangerously like, rowdy. People, you know, just really, they are crazy, and we love that. You know, I mean, it's like so. Those are two ends of the spectrum, and we love both. But you know, we try to play, we try to play to the crowd without compromising our artistic integrity. You know, if if these people are here to party, we're gonna play our party-oriented stuff. But it's still our stuff you know? I mean, I think about all my he- heroes Like, you know, Miles Davis The Beatles, Herbie Anfield, Led Zeppelin Like, they never, ever Compromise. gave their audience What yep. their audience was wanting or expecting. That's true But we look back on it And we say, Sgt. Peppers, that was a classic That's a, one of the best records ever recorded But when that record dropped, all their fans were like what? I want to hear 8 <laughs> yeah. days a week Yeah I want to hear the bubblegum pop, and they gave them, like, this psychedelic trip, and now we look back on it, and it's like, of course, that's a masterpiece, but at the time, people were, you know... And I'm in no way comparing Snarky Poppy to Beatles. I'm just saying that, like, the, the, there was, like, a... I, I, I love the mentality of, like, the artist doing what the artist wants to do, you know, and because I think that you can... It's a slippery slope when you start playing, playing to people. You know what I mean? You play four people, but you don't play to them. I think what the band does is they just take their favorite elements of all the different kinds of music that we like, and we put it together, you know? And I think the reason why it sounds like Snarky Puppy is just because we've played, like, 1,100 or 1,200 gigs together. You know what I mean? Like, I think anybody can sit down and be like, well, I really like this from Malayan music, and I love this from hip-hop, and I love this from rock and roll, and I love this from... Irish traditional music and you could put it all in a pot and write a tune with that and it would just sound like fragmented. It would sound like schizophrenic. You know? But I think that that, that Snarky Puppy as a band is able to do it in a way that it sounds like Snarky Puppy just because of the rapport between the players and that we've over, a, you know, 11 years of playing together we've like found a sound. It works, You know? So I don't think it's so just like with anything with art it's not the it's not so much, like, the idea so much as it is the execution of it, you know what I mean? I mean, I don't want to be... To me, it's frightening to think of, like... Like, if someone... I mean, I I understand that it has to be that way. That's how the world works. People find something they like and they listen to it over and over and they're influenced by it. But to me, like, I feel like someone that's listening to Snarky Puppy, I want to be like, don't listen to Snarky Puppy. Listen to the people that Snarky Puppy listens to. Mm -hmm. Like, listen Uh to Bruce Armstrong and listen to Uh Nirvana and listen Uh to Radiohead and listen to, you know... Ali Touré and like, you know, bec- just because, and that's not out of some like stupid kind of like false humility, it's just like, I feel like that's better music, you know, but I, I guess if you ever think that your stuff is better than Ali Farkature or no, I don't know, I don't know, I'm not going to judge, but I'm just saying that like, for me, I, it kind of freaks me out a little bit because it kind of puts responsibility on you as an artist. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, it puts pressure. Yeah, it's like, oh yeah. man, like, I'm shaping the way that young people think about music the way that, you know, Led Zeppelin shaped me when I was in high school. Like, that's scary. is It's just music. It's about you, you play what you feel and people accept it or they don't accept it. And it's not about being great. It's not about being the next bot. You know, it's just like so I try to not think about music as good or bad I just try to think of it as like this is how I feel and I've trained myself to express how I feel you know so we do it and either you like it or you don't like it and that kids like it and that they come up after shows and say yeah I'm a 10 year old trumpet player 16 year old guitar player and like I really enjoy doing your stuff it's like the way that I process that rather than freaking out or you're doing your job well yeah I mean as a as a in society that's your role right as a musician is like you know, I mean, if you take it way back, it's like there's musicians in communities and their job is to pass on the stories of the culture to the next generation, you know. and But for me, the way I relate to it is I just think, well, when I was 10, I remember the way I felt when I found a band that was playing something that appealed to me at that moment. And that's an important thing, you know. And like you said, arts, arts education is getting cut. It's cut. total crap. Yeah. It's like, you know, I mean, I think about... When I was in high school, in Nor- not very far from here, you know, in Northern Virginia, mm-hmm. I had a jazz band director, a concert band director, a choir director, a guitar teacher, a theory teacher, oh. a concert band director. There were like set six music faculty at my school, and all of those classes were offered during the day as electives. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And now you can only do orchestra, choir or concert band during the day jazz band guitar class all that's after school or before school right now the jazz band meets at 6am who on earth plays jazz at 6 morning? (laughs) and you have to pay out of pocket too for the instruments you know what I mean and that's that's, to me that's unacceptable and I also think about the effect that it had on me like how that developed my brain in ways beyond music as a high school kid because that's the thing it's like politicians and the people who are making these these you know, kind of bureaucratic decisions are looking at music class like it only helps you if you want to be a musician but that's not true, it develops well, a part of your brain that math class to, and nice. science class are not developing and, and, you you know. Know. that's why we give clinics, we don't just expect everyone to grow into a musician we, we try to inspire kids to do what whatever it is they want to do as well as they can with as much integrity as they can, that's our message in our clinics it's not like mm-hmm. this is how you play a blues it's more like this is how you care about something you love and you Develop it into, into what you want to do with the rest of your life. What are your plans for 2015? The rest here? of 2015? Uh, well, our record that we made with the Metropole Orchestra, uh, Silva, comes out in the US May 26th. That already came out outside of North America. Uh, we have Family Dinner Volume 2 with a bunch of really great artists David Crosby, Salif Keita, Laura Vula, Susanna mm-hmm. Baca, Becca Stevens, Noah. Chris Turner and Jacob Collier uh, As well as a bunch of guest instrumentalists Jeff Coffin, the Dave Matthews band Charlie Hunter, lots of great artists That comes out probably In the fall Uh, And in between that we're doing a bunch of music festivals And tour dates And then we're going to probably record another album At the end of the year that will come out next year Nice No creative blocks there Yeah